And this guy flags me down who doesn't go here. Our church is called to touch the city, and we're going to touch the, the nation. We are, and we're going to go to the world. I know we're going to go to the world now, but we're starting here. I was riding my brand new bike today, early, early before it was, you know, 150 out there. And I had just gotten off the bike trail and loaded my bike up and I was just driving away. And this guy flags me down who doesn't go here, but he flagged me down and he was on his bike and Roman went down. He said, listen, the other morning when you were talking about the Holy Ghost on the radio, you blessed me. And so I said, all right. And it reminded me that every day we're together ministering to thousands of people, the Word of God, every day by the miracle of radio and the internet. So I said, thank you, man. That blessed me as I got off that ride and was headed home. So it's, uh, it was a great, great, uh, just an exhortation and encouragement. We're reaching people and I'm preparing you to reach more than you've ever reached. You're going to be praying for the sick, visiting the sick, winning people to Christ. You are. And uh, so that's what this is all about. So let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the power of God, for the power of your word. We thank you, Lord, for the word going out from Turning Point Church all over this city, this metroplex, this nation. And Lord, we know we're going to go to the world and people that have never heard the gospel are going to hear from this congregation the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, pray this with me. Would you just say, Lord, speak to me tonight. Make me a capable minister of the things of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you're a minister. All right. Well, I'll tell you, since we've been in three services on the weekend, I feel like weeks are going by like blinks. And I know everybody ministering with me feels that way. I mean, it's great. What else are you going to be doing? And, um, but God is moving and blessing. Now, tonight, we're going to be talking about the soul and healing. And this is really close to my heart. Because not only does the Lord heal physically, but the Lord does absolutely heal the inside of people. He was sent and anointed to bind up the brokenhearted. He puts a tourniquet around broken hearts. He heals the brokenness of people. And sometimes your outer man is not going to be healed until the inner man is healed. There needs to be a healing on the inside. So we're going to look at health and the whole man tonight. Now, man is a three-part being. We all know that spirit, soul, and body. The spirit is man's capacity to connect with God and interact with heavenly things. Just now, as we worshiped, your spirit was touched by his spirit, and we communed with God spirit to spirit. That's, that's it. God, God lifes, brings to life our spirit man when we're saved. Until we're saved, our spirit is dead in trespasses and sins. But when we get saved, God touches the inner man and we are born again. That means that once dead spirit is brought to life, resurrected from the dead. 
Very powerful. That's why you must be born again if you're ever going to see the kingdom of God. You've got to be born again. Because you're, the way you are before you're saved isn't going to get into heaven. It's a dead spirit man. Now the soul is your mind, will, and emotions. It's your thinking mechanism. Your soul is when you feel something strongly, when you love, when you love, when you hate, when you, and I hope you don't hate much except the devil, but you know, when you have emotional experience, that's your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. The suke is the Greek word, suke, from we, which we get psychology, psychology. Then the body, of course, man's physical house. And guess what? While the physical house is getting older, and more wrinkled every day. The Bible says the inward man is being renewed day by day. That's good news. Now, we must understand that the soul is also physical in this respect. We're not saying the soul is exclusively physical, but while the body lives, the soul is deeply integrated with our physicality. What you experience emotionally is going to affect you physically fact of life. How many of you ever went through a really rough emotional experience and you, and you came down with something right after that? It broke down your defenses because your, your body is connected to your soul that way. All right. Now the mind is our capacity to learn. You're using it right now. I hope it's your capacity to know, to remember, to reason, and it's functionally located within the physical processes of our brain. Now, emotions are what we feel emotionally is measurable physically in terms of chemicals that are released by the brain into our bodies. Like if you ever experience a lot of fear, that releases a chemical into your body. If you experience, are you ready, joy, it releases a chemical into your body. How about when you fall in love? You ever feel like when you fell in love, you were floating and the world just looked prettier to you? Because it released, okay, a chemical into your body. So there is a connection. Now our will, our will is our ability to choose and it's physical in its reach because whatever you choose to do, your feet are going to follow. Now the, there can be a link between the health of our soul and the health of our bodies. Not always because there are viruses, there are bacteria, there are things that can attack you that had nothing to do with your emotions. But on the flip side, your emotions can very much affect the way that, you, I, that's why I love what George Mueller used to say, the great, uh, he, he had adoption, an adoption agency in London in the 1800s. He, he had an orphanage and uh, he took care of hundreds of children. He never shared one time his need. He never went public and said, here's what I need. He would pray every morning and lots of times go out and on the front porch would be exactly what he needed for that day. Somebody just dropped it off. He never one time, but here's what he said. I consider it my first duty every day to get happy in God. Now I like that. I consider it my first duty every day to get happy in God. If you will get happy in the Lord, may not have much around you to get happy about, but you can always get happy in the Lord. Then it releases, I believe, a chemical well-being, a sense of well-being. What, what people are looking for in the illicit drugs, it, in, it releases endorphins. 
It releases a sense of well-being when you have joy, when you have happiness. And I believe we can be happy in the Lord every day. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen? Now, let's look at how wrong thinking affects health. Wrong thinking. The average person has over 30,000 thoughts a day. That's a lot of thinking. You didn't know you thought that much, did you? (laughs) Now, through an uncontrolled thought life, we create conditions for illness. We make ourselves sick. Research uh, shows that fear, all on its own, triggers more than 1,400 known physical and chemical responses and activates more than 30 different hormones. When you're afraid, And there are also intellectual and medical reasons to forgive. Let's talk about forgiveness and unforgiveness. I believe if you're afraid, get into the Word of God and get rid of it. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And on top of this now, if you get into a place where you're offended, and there's unforgiveness in you, and you live with it every day, and you're, you're on a constant loop, your memory is on a loop, and you remember all day, every day, what they did to you, what he did, what she did, what they did. And you replay it and replay it. And the more you replay it, the madder you get, the angrier you get, you wish ill on them. I know the feeling. But you got to get off that roller coaster. There's medical reasons to forgive. If you can't do it just because Jesus said do it, let's look at some medical reasons. Toxic waste generated by toxic thoughts causes the following illnesses. Diabetes, cancer, asthma, skin problems, and allergies, to name just a few, says Dr. Carolyn Leaf. Now, I want to footnote that with this. Not always. And I don't want to in any way make somebody think that it's your fault because you're sick. We're learning how to do battle with the enemy, and we're learning how to stay free. So, so, like I said, there are bacteria, there are viruses, there are things that, that you may have had all kinds of joy, but something has attacked you. So it's not always the case, but I guarantee you it is sometimes the case. I have prayed for people in healing lines, and I've come up to them and had the Holy Spirit tell me they cannot be free and they won't be healed because they're in unforgiveness. And I've looked at them and said, is there anybody you're angry at? Yes. Can you let them go? No. Why? I don't want to. And I say, then you won't be healed. You will not be healed. You can't be healed. Jesus promised in one of his parables that if we hang on to unforgiveness, once we have been forgiven by God through Christ, God himself will turn us over to tormentors. And Pastor Jeff, that's a strong word. I'm just quoting Jesus. My heavenly father will do so to you if you don't forgive Everyone, because you have been forgiven billions of dollars in debt load of sin. And so you've got to forgive people who have offended you, wronged you. And and listen, life's not fair. You are going to be wronged. You are going to be betrayed from time to time. You're going to be done wrong because we're living in a world of imperfect people. And they're going to do you wrong sometimes. Betray you, lie to you, deceive you. Well, Pastor Jeff, why don't you just preach me up tonight? Well, I'm just telling you the way life is. I I can't paint a rosy picture of something and and not be real. I I live in Realville. 
And I know how people are. And, and they're going to hurt you. Your spouse is going to hurt you sometimes. You're going to hurt them. We make mistakes. And so what are you going to do when you're offended? Not if, but when you're offended. You've got to forgive. You've got to let it go. And I mean really let it go. No human being is worth you losing your walk with God. You say, well, if I don't stay mad at him, who's going to get him? If I don't stay mad at him, who's going to get him? God. God is. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay, but I can't do a thing till you turn loose of it. You've got to let it go. And as long as you hang on to it, I can't do a thing. You've got to let it go. He's God. We're not. I read the job description, and I'm glad to let him have it. Let him be God. Say, so well, I don't see him doing anything to the people that hurt me. You don't know what's going on behind closed doors. And his ways are not your ways. His timing is not your timing. You've got to let go and move on. You've got to let go and move on. Get your eyes out of that rearview mirror and quit driving, looking in the rearview mirror. You're going to crash. Look through the windshield and let God deal with what's back there. Now, I don't want these toxins in my body. Here's intellectual and medical reasons to forgive. Toxic waste generated by toxic thoughts. Oh, I already read those. All right, let's move on. We're not saying that physical issues always relate to thoughts. But when praying for the sick, we must also take into consideration they may be harboring bitterness, anger, inordinate fear, or some other destructive mental bondage that must be dealt with for genuine healing to come. Some of you are going to be down in this altar after our services praying for the sick. And, and the Holy Ghost is going to talk to you. And he may just say to you, ask them, is there anything you need to let go of? Is there, is there anything that you might be harboring that can be adding to what's going on in your body? Who knows? In the healing room, we will encounter this. We will encounter people who are sick because of their insides, their emotions. And we're going to have to learn to minister to that. Now, we must also explore their physical habits. Are you ready? Grab your toes. Everybody grab your toes. Here we go. Overeating. <laughs> Gluttony. You may be McDonald's best friend. But listen, if somebody, well, let me move on. Alcohol, tobacco, <laughs> tobacco abuse, drug abuse, lack of exercise, and other things that Americans are known for. Now, now get this, and, and you got to think this way, all right? Here you've got people who are needing to be healed, wanting to be healed. But, but you know that they're doing something that if, if God heals them, they're going to be sick again in a month. Because there's habits in their life that they're not being delivered of. How can you pray for somebody to be healed of bronchial problems if they're smoking? It's like admit it and quit it. You're going to have to get rid of some things to be healed. Why would the Lord heal you if you're just going to go make yourself sick again? Now, I know this is touchy, but I got to go here because this is real. And we live in where? Realville. Okay? So, so now look at this, overeating. You know, you know we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray that you got high blood pressure. You come in and you say, I got high blood pressure and my cholesterol is off the charts and and, and we say, well, how's your, how's your diet? 
well, you know, I, I, I love sitting on the couch and eating potato chips and watching soap operas all day long, but I know God will heal me. You got to say, wait a minute, let's look at your whole life. We don't need to be doctors. We just need some common sense. Some of you are thinking, I wish I'd missed tonight. I didn't know he was going here tonight. But isn't this, this makes complete, if somebody's drinking alcohol all the time, you know, ruining their liver, why would God reach down and pray to heal your liver if you're not going to give up the alcohol? We Christians need to let God talk to us about our whole being, our, the whole spectrum of our life and how we're living. What, how are we treating our body? You know, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You only get one. And you're not coming back as a cricket or a June bug or a frog or a cow. You live once and then you die and then you go to your judgment. So how are you treating the temple? Exercise. You know, I, I cycle. Now, there, there's one reason. Well, there's a lot of reasons I cycle. I really love it. But I do it because I want to preach when I'm 80. And I do it because I've got to get the stress off of me from studying all the time. So I need a balance. And so I found it in cycling. And I get out there, and after the first mile, all the problems are behind me. And so I love getting that sweat out and working and the, the, the chemicals it releases into my body. I feel better. I mean, I feel way better when I'm done. It's getting there that's hard. But we all, folks, listen, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. So how are we treating our temple? How are we treating our temple? You gotta think about that. Really quiet in here, really, really. And it goes without saying, if you're in drugs, you need to be delivered. Any kind of illicit drug, anything, any kind of drug. Listen, you ought to be addicted to one thing, Jesus Christ, and him crucified and the Holy Ghost. Is the Holy Ghost empowering us, keeping me alive? Get addicted to the Holy Ghost. Get addicted to ministering to people. Get addicted to the Word of God. Get hooked. For instance, if a person comes to the healing room for prayer and it's clear that they are contributing to their condition by a smoking problem, that issue must be addressed if the person is ever to be fully healthy. It does no good to pray for the sick if the sick are contributing to their own ill health. Let's talk about stress. Anybody in here had stress yet this year? <laughs> All right, let's talk about stress. Stress most often refers to the body's response to a stressor. What is a stressor to one person may not be to another. Kathy and I went to Six Flags, and we got on this parachute ride where they take you way up, way up, where you can see the world curving. <laughs> they take you way up. And then they just let it drop. Well, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Kathy created ruts in steel with her fingernails. <laughs> Held on for dear life. What was a blast to me was a stressor. We couldn't get down there fast enough. It only took about five seconds. Right, Kathy? And she feels that way when I drive. <laughs> when I drive. Yeah, that's right. See, I got to balance this out real quick. Yeah. But 
you know, different stressors work on different people. I mean, there's some people who are stressed really big time over something. Another person will be sitting there and go, I don't know what's wrong with you. That doesn't stress me at all. The roller coaster analogy is useful in explaining why the same stressor can differ so much for each of us. Um, what distinguished the passengers in the back from those, like, say you're on a roller coaster, you're in the front and somebody else is in the back. And the ones in the front are not stressed at all, but in the back, you don't feel like you've got any control at all. You're being whiplashed, whipped around. And so the person in the front is not stressed, but you in the back are. What distinguished the passengers in the back from those up front was the sense of control they had over the event. Now, here's another thing. I don't like to fly. It stresses me. I'm a white-knuckle flyer. I'm what they call a nervous Nelly. I just don't like it. You know what my problem is? I don't like not being in control. I want to go up there and tell that pilot, get out of the way and let me in. And Kathy loves to fly. So she gets in there and all she's doing is praying that I'm okay. Because for me, it's a stressor. For her, it's a joy. Okay? We're just different in what stresses us. While neither group had any more or less control, their perceptions and expectations were quite different. Many times we create our own stress because of faulty perceptions that we can learn to correct. When our bodies are in a state of stress, a fight or flight mode is activated. Certain systems or processes in our body like digestion, sleep patterns, immune system are switched off. And right then is when you are susceptible to certain things that can attack you physically. This is actually positive for survival in short-term danger. Chronic stress, however, can have very negative consequences. You've got to learn, church. We all do to deal with stress. Deal with our stressors in a way that will work. I, I know I'm broken record here, but back to my cycling. That deals with my stress. I can tell when I've got to go hit that bike path. And the stress is gone. But you can't walk around like a wound up watch spring all the time and not have it affect you physically eventually. You've got to learn to deal with stress. Uh, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. In everything by prayer and thanksgiving. Take your request to God and God's peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind. What is he saying? God will remove your stress and give you peace. But we've got to learn to deal with stress or the stress is going to deal with us. And we live in a stressful society. Man, look at the faces of the people in rush hour traffic and tell me it's not a stressful society. You've got to battle your way to work, battle your way home, battle your way through road rage. It's stressful from start to finish. That's why you've got to start your day with God and learn to give Him your problems, your cares, your your temptations, your struggles, your fears, give it all to him and get the stress off of you before you go face that day. Certain characteristics when present have been found to lessen stress. Here's one, commitment. I'm deeply engaged in my present involvements. Control, there's mine. I believe my choices will influence outcomes. Challenge. I believe that life is going to require me to change, allowing for growth. You don't see things as horrible problems, but you see them as great challenges. 
And you say, I don't have a problem, I have a challenge. Amen? I have a challenge, and it's going to let me grow. And you look at it differently. I'm not facing a Goliath that's going to kill me. I'm facing a mountain that's going to strengthen me. And I'm not going to stay in this valley. I told somebody this week, you are, I agree with you, you are in one valley. But guess what? You're not going to build a brick house there. You're, you're not going to settle there. You might put up a tent there, but you're only passing through. It's not where you're going to remain. That valley too shall pass. And so let's look at the valley in a positive light. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for he is with me. His rod and staff, they comfort me. I'm going to get out on the other side and I'm going to have compassion for those who are in a valley like I was and I'm going to become a better minister for it. So I'm not looking at some problem that's going to devour me. I'm looking at a challenge that's going to make me. And you look at it that way and it, re it relieves stress. Here's some other factors. Social support. You ought to have people that you can call and say, here's where I am. Here's what I'm going through. Pray for me. Social support. That's what church is. That's why you can't put your arms around a TV image. A TV image can't marry you. A TV image can't bury you. A TV image can't lay hands on you as much as they tell you to lay your hand on the TV. You might get shocked. That's why to go to TV church is not church. And I can boldly tell you that. TV church is not church. It's, a, it's, it's something, it's a default. If you're, if you're down or for some reason you can't get out, watch Christian TV instead of going to church. But if you can get to church, then you better be at church. Because there's a reason we're here together. And it's for support optimism, a sense of humor. You ought to have a sense of humor. Kathy and I have so many jokes stuck on our refrigerator. We find something funny. We magnetize that thing to the refrigerator and look at it all the time and have a laugh. If you can't laugh at life, you're in trouble tonight. You are going to be, you are going to be stressed out, baby. You got to be able to laugh. If you can't find anything else, go look in the mirror. <laughs> look what's happened to you. <laughs> Say with me, I gotta have a sense of humor. Say, say, you're laughing right now, most of you are. Some of you look like you need to be here. <laughs> but most of you are laughing. You know what happened right now when you're laughing? Chemicals are released into your body. I guarantee you they are, and they give you a sense of well-being. They are endorphins. It's good to laugh. God gave us humor. Physical fitness, I gotta tell you, I know you don't like to hear this, but you ought to exercise. You really should. Find something you can do. If it's a walk, go for a walk. You know what the most unused Christmas present is in America? Treadmills. <laughs> it's treadmills. What do you want for Christmas, dear? Oh, I want a treadmill. I'm going to get into shape. It's my New Year's resolution. That thing sits in that middle room. Month after month, it's gathering cobwebs. The pets are sleeping under it now. What happened? You've got to do something. Go for a walk. Go for a long walk. Get out and just walk. Walk around the house. Jump up and down. Do cartwheels. Well, I don't know. Wait a minute. 
Some of you go try that and I'll be sued. Now, physical fitness. I'm telling you, you can't believe what it'll do for you just to do a little bit of exercise. Now, what I believe about God, myself, and the world around me will invariably impact my body and my health. In this case, science has simply confirmed what the Bible teaches. In our final training session, we're going to take a close look at what the Bible calls strongholds, so don't miss that two weeks from tonight, and give you some specific ways to challenge unhealthy patterns of thought that facilitate stress and can lead to physical illness, like some of you are professional worriers. If I don't want to worry about it, I can come to you and you will worry about it for me. You're on a worry treadmill. That is so destructive. So we're going to look at strongholds like that. Let's look at forgiveness right now. Unforgiveness and bitterness are common and very toxic realities within the brain that can lead us to all manner of emotional, mental, and physical illness. Unforgiveness is also a major open door to the enemy. Did you know that? The Bible says give no opportunity to the devil. Don't go to sleep on an offense. Only give it a, a, an offense, a 24-hour shelf life. Deal with it. Don't let it stay. Because you give land. The Greek word is topos. We get topography from it. You give, you give land in your soul to the devil when you don't forgive. Sickness is of the enemy, and he uses unforgiveness to open the door to sickness and disease. Matthew 18, 21 to 35, you ought to read that. That's Jesus' parable about forgiving. The nature of Christ is to forgive. I want everybody to say that with me. The nature of Christ. It is. The nature of Jesus is to forgive. When we refuse to forgive, we are rejecting the transforming power of God's grace. When we choose unforgiveness, we effectively remove ourselves from the flow of God's grace. Now, I want you to catch this. This is out of Hebrews. It says, beware, lest any of you fail of the grace of God. Beware, lest any of you fail. Now, what does that mean? It means when you are hurt, when you get offended, when you get wronged, God sees it. And he immediately extends grace your way. The grace to forgive. The grace to let it go. The grace to walk in love. The grace to overcome it. The grace to move on in life. The grace is there. And, and what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is not you're going to lose your salvation. But you are going to lose your connection with God, your walk with God. If you fail of the grace of God, fail to respond to the grace of God, and you get bitter and cling to the offense, instead of, what does grace do? It allows you to do, it empowers you to do the will of God. Grace empowers you to walk in the Spirit, empowers you to do what God asks you to do. That comes by grace. So here comes the grace, and God is there. How many of you ever worked out with weights? Okay, so you got, let's say you got 100 pounds here and you're laying on that bench and hits a barbell and, and, and you just started and you can't, you can't pick that thing. You've got it about halfway. And what do you do? You yell for a spotter. And somebody will come along behind you and they'll grab it and help you pick it up. That's what grace does. You're offended and you yell, Lord, I need my heavenly spotter. 
And the, the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Ghost, comes and says, let's pick this up together. You can get through this. You can get over it. You can go on. You can forgive. But if you fail of the grace of God, then a root of bitterness is planted. And, and, and that root of bitterness begins to grow. And it begins to defile other people. How does it do that? Because you cannot quit talking about it. If you've ever been around somebody bitter, they cannot. If you talk to them for 10 minutes, it's coming out. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. They're going to tell you what they did to them, what she did to them, what he did to them, what that company did to them, what that church did to them, whatever it is. And they're going to go into it, and you're going to see there is a root here because somewhere along the way, this person failed to respond to the grace of God. And so they're bound. And the only way out the only way out is to forgive. So, Pastor, I don't feel like forgiving him. You don't have to feel it. You don't have to feel anything. He didn't say, feel it and forgive them. He just said, forgive them. Well, then how do I do it if I don't feel it? Say it. I Right? Have you ever felt that way? Lord, help me, spotter. I do I really have to say this? But as soon as you say it, the spotter is on the scene. Come on, we can pick this up. Say it a hundred times a day if you've got to. Say it. You are not set free by your feelings. You're set free by the word and by responding to the word. When we choose unforgiveness, we remove ourselves from the flow of God's grace. We must forgive. If we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. If we don't forgive, we're held in bondage to the one who offended, wounded us. Million dollar question here. Why would you want to give the person you detest lifelong power over you? You're letting them rule you sometimes from the grave. I believe you ought to forgive dead people. If somebody has hurt you and you never got it right and you've been walking around with a chip on your shoulder and unforgiveness in your heart and bitterness for years and they have died, you can still in the presence of God forgive them. Don't let somebody rule you from the grave. We're held in bondage to them who wounded us, who offended us. If we don't forgive, we're committing idolatry. We're bowing down to that person and letting them rule our life instead of God. When we're offended, we perceive something has been taken from us. Somebody either took what I value, took something of significance, took my provision, took my heart, took my trust. And I'm offended. Well, when we're offended and do not forgive, we're affirming that the other person has power over our sense of value, significance, and provision. How sad. Listen, we only want Jesus having power over our life. We only want the Lord Jesus having control over us. We are his slave, his servants, and we don't answer to anyone else. So we got to forgive. This is a role that only God can rightfully play in our lives to control us. To allow someone other than God to play the role only he should play is idolatry. 
If we don't forgive, the door is open for, are you ready? Say it with me. Demonic oppression. The enemy loves it when a good Christian starts walking in unforgiveness. Because then he can slip through the crack. He can get in. He can get land in your soul, topos, land. And he can begin to build a stronghold there. Good Christians, I've seen them ruin, ruin by bitterness. I've seen, I've seen people that in the beginning were at church every time the door, before the doors were open. They were on the front row. They worshiped with all their heart, wept, reached people, witnessed to everything that moved. They loved the Lord. But something happens. They get offended. The enemy uses offense more than any single thing in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen carefully to me. It's his favorite weapon of choice is offense. We don't see it coming. It it blindsides us. Somebody says something, does something. We get offended. And we start mulling on it. And we're not aware that our spirit man that once was burning brightly with the power and glory of God begins to cool. We lose our hunger for the Word of God. We lose our hunger for prayer. We lose our hunger for fellowship. We begin to drift. And we're not aware of what this offense is doing to us. Unless the Holy Ghost just comes and says, you, you, you need to forgive. And then the enemy gets in. And, and listen, you can end up in sin. I know this is strong. And, and, and people listening by radio, I know it's strong. I'm in your car with you and I'm, and I'm talking to you because some of you, you're bitter at your spouse, bitter at your husband, bitter at your wife, bitter at your kids, bitter at your old church. You're out of church. How did it happen? Because I got offended and I didn't deal with it and I failed to respond to the grace of God. And so I wasn't able to pick it up because I didn't let the spotter come in and help me. Very, very real here. Now, here's what forgiveness is not. It's not denial. Oh, I'm okay. You okay, brother? Sure, I'm okay. I'm blessed. What was it? Everybody says I'm blessed, favored, and highly, this and that and the other. Well, that's great. I'm, I'm happy for that. But sometimes that just strikes me as very disingenuous. Oh, I'm blessed and fa- highly favored and this and that. That's a, I, don't get me wrong. That's great. Good for you. <laughs> but I want to know the truth. <laughs> Am I in trouble here? No. It's it's just such a rote response. Uh, Wind me up and I say, oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. Well, how about, you know, I'm really struggling with unforgiveness and I need prayer. Or how about, I need my bills paid. Or how about, I need my marriage healed. So you deny it. Oh, I'm okay. I'm blessed and highly favored. It wasn't that big of a deal. Don't worry about it. But inside, the worm is turning. How about repression? It was a big deal, but I'm not going to deal with it. Restoration of relationship. Forgiveness takes one. Reconciliation takes two. I'm just going to repress it. I am not going to deal with what is clearly there. I'm going to play, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. I'm going to play ostrich. And I'm not going to deal with it. I'm going to move on. Bless God. Blessed and highly favored. And all the while, there's something going on in you that needs to be touched. How about forgetting? You may never forget 
but the sting and pain of what happened should fade following forgiveness. If you've really forgiven and moved on, what happened to you, you're never going to forget it, but when you think of it, it doesn't sting like it used to. It doesn't hurt you like it used to. It doesn't make you angry like it used to. And you can actually run into that person and be okay and not want to kill them. <laughs> Whoop them. Hit them. Tell them what you think. Why am I talking this way tonight? Because I live in Realville. Being a doormat. I'm just going to be a doormat. Forgiveness doesn't mean you allow yourself exposure to continual abuse. I'll just be a doormat and forgive. There comes a time where God says, don't you let that person treat you this way without standing up and addressing it. Now, God is committed to justice. God does not and cannot simply sweep sin under the rug. God's righteousness demands justice. There must be a consequence for sin. Jesus has fully satisfied this demand on the cross. This satisfaction is for all the evil, the sin, and the brokenness of our world. When I don't forgive, I'm choosing not to agree with God that Jesus' suffering is sufficient. That's powerful. Now, let me tell you what you may not have ever thought about in closing here tonight, is that maybe you haven't forgiven you. And did you know that if you don't forgive you, it'll do the same thing to you as if you didn't forgive somebody else? Well, I've got to punish myself, Pastor Jeff. You don't know what I did, so I've got to whoop myself. I know I deserve to be whooped. I deserve to be punished, so I'm not going to let myself off the hook. I have got to take myself through some hell over what I did. Listen, Jesus went through your hell. Jesus took what you did. So do you know that sometimes you've got to look in the mirror and say, Self, I forgive you. And let yourself off the hook. One time the Lord said to me, Jeff, is your sin greater than the blood? I said, well, I'm mad at myself. He said, is your sin greater than the blood? No. Then forgive yourself. You've got to forgive yourself and move on. You have to forgive yourself and move on. You can sit and beat yourself up till the day you go home. You'll still go home, but you'll lose your reward. Because all you did all, all your life was beat yourself up for what you did. And sometimes that's only an excuse to not do anything with your life. When I do forgive, I'm choosing to enter into the sufficiency of what Jesus has done. Because in forgiving, I'm entering into what Jesus has done. The power to forgive is Christ, while the choice to forgive is mine. Now, real quickly, if you're going to forgive, you've got to acknowledge what was done how it made you feel and make a verbal declaration of choice to forgive like I was sharing with you a moment ago what was done how it made you feel and the release of debt and demand for you've got to give up your demand for justice and let God do the avenging the avenging corresponding inward release of debt demand for justice verbal affirmation of the sufficiency of Jesus' death on the cross. Once the individual has been interviewed, 
Those of you that are going to be in the healing room or just for everybody here, we're all going to be ministering to people. Once the individual has been interviewed, the minister will then either offer counsel concerning possible damaging habits or vices that may be contributing to their condition or pray for their healing or both. And then next you pray for healing. Speak to the condition. Have them check it out. If no results transpire and you sense forgiveness may be needed, don't accuse them, but make it a hearing God exercise. Explain. Sometimes there can be issues in our soul. You're talking to them now. Sometimes there can be issues in our soul that need to be resolved as a part of our healing process. Unforgiveness is a very common issue that needs to be resolved. Ask for them to buy into that. Ask for them to agree with that. Then you say, can we ask God to show you if there's anything like, and I'm asking all of you here tonight, is there anything like this that he's wanting to talk to you about today? Anyone here tonight? Ask God to speak. God, is there anyone, say, Jeff needs to forgive? I'm asking you, Holy Ghost, to speak to the person I'm praying with. Is there anything, Susie, Jeff, Bob, whoever, anybody they need to forgive? If yes, lead them through the steps of forgiveness. And if they say, no, there's nobody, don't press it. Don't say, well, God's showing me and give them the hypnotic stare. Don't do that. (laughs) Ask them how their condition is. Pray again for healing if needed. Assure them at their departure that whether or not there was an immediate manifestation, God heard the prayer. Encourage them to be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit as to what he might minister to their hearts in the days following. Assure them you will keep them in your prayers and are there for them in the future. Now, there you go. Next Wednesday, again, a reminder, the youth department is going to be conducting the service. I'll be out and we'll finish this the week after. Can we stand? And I want to, I want to stay in an attitude of prayer right now. And, you know, we can't give what we don't have. But we can give what we do have. And I want us to ask the Holy Spirit right now to search us because we got to remove the two by four from our own eyes if we're going to minister to other people. Can we just ask him, Lord, is there anybody I need to forgive? Any offense I need to let go of? Holy Spirit, is there anything in my lifestyle that could be contributing to the way that I feel? And I want you to ask the Lord that yourself. Can we do it? Say with me, Lord Jesus, search me by your Spirit. Show me if there's any person I need to forgive. Anyone I need to release. Anyone who's controlling my life through unforgiveness. If so, Lord, I forgive them. And just say it. I forgive them. Say with me, Lord Jesus, is there anything in my lifestyle where I'm not honoring the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
If there is, Lord, I receive the grace to empower me to change. We lift our hands to him and just say, Lord, I receive that grace. I receive that grace. I receive the grace of God. I receive the grace of God to change. I receive the grace of God to defeat that habit. I receive the grace of God. I'm not going to fail of the grace of God.